football talk like you've never heard before. The pinky finger goes up the nose. Ugh. From the tailgates. A million percent correct. Those are the best fries in the universe. To the touchdowns. He's going for the corner. He's got it. We have everything covered. Place at the table. <laughs> Here's Andy Staples. His squad is in the house. Welcome to the Place at the Table podcast. Early signing period edition. It, it's essentially National Signing Day uh, as as I record this uh, Wednesday, 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, more than half of the the Power Five signees have signed. It's it's almost over and uh, just started. It feels like. But to break all this down, we're gonna bring in another another casual recruitnik like myself, Ralph Russo from the Associated Press. What's up, Ralph? That's a good way to describe it. Casual recruit Nick is a solid way to describe me. Well, we follow it because we have to because it's, it's part of the sport, but it's not something we do on a daily basis. We're not following recruiting year-round. We do have to occasionally cover the, the players who are already in, in college. But you know, it, it is the lifeblood of every program, and it's obviously very important. And today was a really interesting educational day. Um, it, it's interesting, Ralph, because it – it felt like going into this, all the noise you heard from coaches was, I don't like this, this is bad, and they they would always say it was bad for everybody, even though usually they just mean it's bad for them. Uh, but then today you get some coaches saying, hey, I really like this thing. This is great. Maybe we should do it even earlier. Uh, Dabo Sweeney loved it. Uh, Mike Gundy said uh, it helped them keep poachers away from the, the players that Oklahoma State had committed. Uh were you surprised that, that there was that much positive reaction? I, I was a little bit um, because I thought, well, you know, I think sometimes when you hear Nick Saban say, I don't like it and I know nobody else who likes it, you think he speaks with a more authoritative voice. But really, that might just mean Nick doesn't like it because <laughs> what I counted is. And he never that likes any change, but he just adjusts to it behind the scenes better than anybody else. But most coaches don't like changes, right? I mean, so so it's not like it's just Nick. Most most of these guys generally do not like a change in their routine. But I was ticking off because Saban had said, I don't know anybody who likes this, and none of the coaches I've talked to likes it. So I was ticking off all the coaches that apparently Nick Saban doesn't speak to. Well, DJ they, Durkin. They did, they did Chris vote. Chris Peterson. Yeah. Like, all those guys, they liked it, you know? Yeah, they did vote at the uh, the American Football Coaches Association convention last year and they did vote for it overwhelmingly so uh, yeah I, yeah I, I think I think you're right and I, Dabo I made was, a good point where he said he's like nothing about my routine changed other than sending people letters of intent and them signing them because he said he's like I was making these same recruiting visits before Right. And and you saw, you know, Gundy made a good reference to it. And I do think that if you go a little farther down the food chain, because I again, I saw DJ Durkin talking about it on BTN and he was effusive. Uh, Jeff Brom was really in, like psyched about this. And I think the farther you get down the food chain, those are still power five schools. But those are the schools that lose out when they find a gem and then Ohio State spots that gem and comes and gets them, 
right? right. Those are the teams that, that, that end up getting sort of screwed in that in the process as the thing drags out. So the Durkins and Brahms of the world love to get their classes locked up and everybody, you know, all their gems, you know, kept hidden away from Ohio State and Alabama. So no, I, I, I was a little surprised to see how, how uh, excited or, or enthusiastic guys, uh, coaches were about this. And I also think it's very much one of those, like everything else in college football, oh my God, it's going to be a disaster until it plays out. And then you realize, you know what? Now a lot of these coaches have a lot more free time to coach their bowl game and to go into January only targeting a few recruits as opposed to babysitting a whole, a whole class. So it's different. I'm not saying it's easy, but nothing is easy. It's just different mostly. It's almost as if people fear change <laughs> until they realize the change might not be terrible for them. Yeah, and, you know, right, I saw Gus Malzahn talking about it, too, and Urban mentioned, you know, how it was really hard. Like, you're right, these two weeks, these last couple of weeks, I'm sure were harder, but you trade that for a few weeks in January, which will be easier, right? I mean, you're just moving the workload around. So I'm not saying that this wasn't tricky, and maybe there's a learning curve to it, but, you know, again, we'll all survive here. And, and I, you know, maybe they're right. Maybe it should be in August. Maybe. Maybe there should be the one in August too, but but for now I think we're still learning about this one, and it's going to get a lot. In fact, that's what I'm writing for later on tonight and into tomorrow is you know what's sort of the next step of this. Three national signing days. That's that's the way to do it. Well, well, I think if nothing else, what they what I think the people who are sort of in charge of this, the football oversight committee, do want to find out, do want to get a little feedback. I don't think you're going to see a lot of tinkering. I guess that's my point. I think there's a lot of feeling. I wonder if fans kind of look at this and wonder, well, now that we've done it, what are we going to do differently next year? And I think ultimately we're not going to do anything differently for a couple of years. I think they want to let this thing settle in, see how it plays out. Also, the important thing next year we have early visits. Yes. Like that hasn't that that part of this whole process hasn't even come into effect yet. So I think that the the folks in charge want to see how this whole recruiting calendar plays out. Maybe let it go one or two cycles, and then step back and say, okay, where can we improve? And that's that's going to change some things for schools like Nebraska, Syracuse, Washington State. That you know it's a little bit harder for them to get unofficial visitors to pay their own way to campus. But uh, if you can pay for someone's visit to campus in May or, or June, then you have a chance with them even if they're making their decision before their high school football season starts. And that's what a lot of guys want to make their decision by the end of the summer. So yeah, the, it'll be a very different recruiting cycle this next cycle. Uh, this one was, was interesting though. Uh, the kind of weird news of the day was, uh, was Jackson Carmen from, from Ohio, the number one player in Ohio. He's an offensive lineman. He signed with Clemson. And he was talking to Ari Wasserman from The Athletic, and, and he said that Dabo Sweeney told him during his recruitment that Urban Meyer was on the back end of his career in terms of years left. And the exact quote that Wasserman got from him was, it wasn't a major factor, but it was an underlying one, Carmen said. And so I was at Clemson working on a different story, and Dabo happened to be talking. And so we asked him about that, and, um, and, and here's what he said. We might have had a lot of conversations. I have no idea. Uh, I don't. Uh, I've just always talked about. You know. I mean. I think you. You. When recruiting, you evaluate everything where you are in a program, and uh, I think uh, whether you're a head coach or 
how program is graduating, whatever it is. Uh, but um, I have no, I can't, I cannot recall specifically. But it sounds like uh, something that might have come up when we were maybe talking about coaches. You know, uh, I've been a guy that's been here for 15 years, and uh, there's obviously differences when you when you compare coaches and things like that. But uh, uh, obviously, different stages in life and things like that. But uh, I think. In recruiting, you talk about anything and everything that, that uh, a recruit wants to talk about. Ralph, that sure sounds like he said it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I, I, have, I have no doubt he said something to that effect, right? That conversation was had. I always, I always do say this. When a kid says, somebody told me this, that means you, you're now getting like secondhand hearsay. So I'm sure that conversation was had. Now, whether it came out exactly the way Jackson Carmen put it, who knows? But you're right. Dabo didn't, didn't. He didn't deny, deny anything there. But and the, other, and the other thing is, why wouldn't you have that conversation? Exactly. That's a conversation everybody should be having about Urban Meyer because you know he sort of bailed out before. Right, and that's that's the part that the Ohio State people are mad about this. But this is a fact that coaches who recruit against Urban Meyer use against Urban Meyer every year. You know, and especially this year, this is kind of the magic number year because he left Florida after six seasons. He just finished his sixth season at Ohio State. Now, he actually tried to leave Florida after five seasons and then decided to come back. Um, so that is something that every single year coaches are going to use against Urban Meyer. Now, it's funny because to hear Dabo Sweeney, 48 years old, say that Urban Meyer, 53 years old, is on the back end of his career – what does that say about Dabo Sweeney? Well, sure, right. I, I mean, there is also this this perception that Dabo, even though he's five years younger, is a lot younger in coaching years because Urban's sort of Urban's been, been around a head coach and not, for a long time, yeah. And, and and not just a head coach, but a really prominent one, right? I mean, Urban, we've been sort of following Urban's career since the Utah days, and and he has been a major figure in coaching for a long time, where Dabo, it's only, even though he's been at Clemson for like nine years, I think Dabo's only sort of been on the radar for the last six or seven years. Right. Dabo was being named interim head coach as Meyer was working on his second national title in 2008. So right. that, that's, that's why that is. But the Ohio State people getting mad and, and people like, oh, I've lost a lot of respect for Dabo. Get over it. This is, this is how people talk in recruiting. Shall we remind everyone that Urban Meyer himself was involved in one of the most hilarious instances of this? Right, right. I, I, you know, so I'm going to refer to the, the part in Bruce's book, right? In right. Meat Market, when he, told Tim, when he told Jevin Sneed that Tim Tebow was going to play linebacker. <laughs> yes, we're recruiting him as a linebacker. <laughs> right, right. He was recruiting another quarterback, so and he already had Tebow in the fold, so he was going to tell that other quarterback because you never know, because you know you can well, never Sneed, have enough Sneed depth. Was, Sneed was committed. Tebow was not. Oh, Tebow didn't commit until oh, that December. So, okay, right. But right. Sneed but none, clearly I, didn't I, believe that and wound up signing with Texas and transferring to Ole Miss. Everything in recruiting should be taken with a, to, should be should be thought to be spin, right? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think, and I think. And I think the other thing is, like fans, I think maybe will find that a little unappealing. But I think savvy kids get that. I think more and more savvy kids sort of understand that what they're hearing is a molded message. Parents, I think, and now maybe not all the time, and, and you kind of feel bad for maybe the kids who are sold a bill of goods and don't realize it. Right. But I think right. more and more. Um, 
kids, I think, probably realize that, listen, everybody's sort of spinning me and I have to do my own research here. Well, and that's the thing. If you're Jackson Carmen, you dealt with Urban Meyer during the recruiting process. Anybody who deals with Urban Meyer right now can see that he is in a much different place than he was at the end of his, of his Florida tenure. You know, he does not strike me as a, as a person who has any intention of not coaching anytime soon. You know, he, he, he's but, but let, in a different spot in his life right now. There is, there, is, there is no doubt about that. The, the, urban, the Ohio State urban has a far better grasp of how he wants to go about things than I think the Florida urban did, where I think urban sort of, I think, had an idea, I need to do it this way, even though I might not be comfortable doing it this way, and I need to recruit X, Y, and Z. Um, so there's definitely that. But I think, like, let's talk about this. How much, I, like, I don't think of Urban as, I still think of Urban as a guy who, listen, I think his son's done it with college in three or four years. Like, I keep thinking that that might be a point where Urban sort of looks at the like, situation. Like and he pulls like, a Bob Stoops who retired at 56 as his his sons were about to, to start their senior year of high school. That could you, could you see Urban possibly ever being interested in going to the NFL? No. I, I, I remember talking to him about this when he was at Florida. And his thing was, I don't think what I do would work in the NFL. You know, what he does is, you know, the motivational tactics, that sort of thing, that's really good for college players. But I don't know that, that his style would work as well on NFL players. So that's the part. I, I just don't know that that's what he'd want to do. Also, I think he understands that one of his biggest strengths as a college coach is recruiting. And mm -hmm. you're not recruiting in the NFL. In fact, in most cases, you're being told, here's who your players are. You know, you're not mm -hmm. getting a huge say in it, depending on what organization you're with. So I just don't see that happening. I just see him coaching at Ohio State until he decides to retire. I don't know when that's going to be. I would assume that the, the players who sign today will get Urban Meyer for their entire careers, though. Uh, it doesn't. He doesn't strike me as a guy who's going to go retire in the next four or five years. Now, uh, like we said, Bob Stoops retired at 56. Bob Stoops was a, a head coach, I believe, at 39. Urban was a head coach at 36 or 37 mm -hmm. originally. Um, it's, it's crazy because I was going through something uh, for a story that's going to come out next week, and I happened to be reading a clip from right after Bobby Williams was fired as Michigan State's head coach in 2002. And the the drumbeat was they need to go hire Urban Meyer from Bowling Green. From Bowling Green. And they <laughs> I, they passed on him because they didn't feel like he had enough experience. But how crazy would that have been if he'd wound up at Michigan State in 2003? I mean, he'd have he started a lot earlier, and, and college football history might be very different now. But – yeah, and I, Michigan State I, turned out okay. They, they did because they got D'Antonio five years later, but or four years later. But it took a little, you know, took some fits and starts to get there. So right, right, right. There's no doubt Urban would have been better than John L. Smith. Right, <laughs> but no, I, I don't, I don't think Urban Meyer is on the, the tail end of his career. But I do not blame other coaches who are recruiting against them for pointing out the fact that he left a big program after two national titles and six seasons. It, it does also seem like urban and maybe this is just even, even now I think urban is a much, it is in a much better place. 
Um, everything I've been told is, you know, he has a better grasp of how he wants to build the culture of his yeah, team. And, and that sounds like cor- by seeing him and talking to him. He just, he, yeah. he's a different person than he was those last few years at Florida where he just seemed miserable all the time. But, but I will say this urban still burns hot and bright. Yes, right. I mean, like you, you, like, like, like you'll never see Saban collapse to the ground after a game the way Urban did after Michigan, Ohio State. And that's not a knock on either man. I just think Urban, so I don't know what the, maybe the word is. It's not necessarily intensity because Saban certainly has intensity, but I think there's an emotional component to Urban's style. He, run, he that, runs hotter. And yeah, I think you can say the same thing about Harbaugh. Probably, probably. I think Harbaugh... Well, there's also Saban burns a little cleaner. Maybe that's the way to to say it. Saban's got nuclear energy. It's a little cleaner burning. I I, I think Saban not as many not as many uh, as many side effects. Yeah, no doubt. So so I think that's the reason why I, I look at a guy like Urban and think like, yeah, maybe he could burn out a little sooner. But, you know, again, that's most also a, a reflection of history. So, yeah, it's silly. But I'm listen, I'm sure that there are. Right, I mean, I, I wasn't sure if it was you who, who tweeted this or somebody else who tweeted it. How many recruits, if you're going against Clemson, do you hear, hey, listen, um, he's you going know, to Alabama. As, yeah, as exactly. soon as Saban's out of there, you know, Dabo's going to Alabama. And I so, think I think that is. I mean, look, Alabama's going to ask him when Saban leaves. No I don't doubt. know that he's going to say yes, though. And and that is a question that can't be answered right now, because if you'd have asked me last year, will Jimbo Fisher leave Florida State for Texas A and M? I would have laughed at you this time last year. And then as the months went on, I would have been like, well, maybe. Put it this way, Saban Saban is certainly closer to the end than Meyer, probably. Right, Saban's 66 (laughs) years old. Right. He looks like he's 42, but he's 66. So, yeah. yeah, What color is his hair now? What what, what do you think he's using on it? Fabulous. It's it's getting lighter, though. It seems to be doing like a little Parcells thing where it's going from sort of brown to almost like a dirty blondish now. (laughs) Speaking of fabulous hair, Ralph, we got to talk about the, the Clemson recruiting class itself. Uh, Trevor Lawrence, the mm. number one uh, player in the well in the twenty four seven composite. Uh, he's a quarterback from Georgia. Uh, you can argue uh, over the quarterbacks from Georgia because I think that there are intelligent people who will tell you that the two two best quarterbacks in Georgia are, are probably the two best quarterbacks in the country, and that's Trevor Lawrence and, and Justin Fields, who wound up signing with Georgia. Um, but they did, they got the, the number one, the Clemson got the number one player in Georgia and Trevor Lawrence, the number one player in Florida and Xavier Thomas, who's an IMG Academy guy. He's really from South Carolina. They got the number one player in, o- in Ohio in Jackson Carmen. Uh, they got the number one player in South Carolina in Darian Kendrick, who actually is the number two player in South Carolina behind Xavier Thomas, but Xavier Thomas is in Florida. Uh, that's pretty impressive in one class. Now, they're not ranked as high as Ohio State or Georgia on the whole, but it seems like they are following a, a pattern that Dabo Sweeney has established over the years of super jumbo, heavy-duty, highly ranked Dexter Lawrence, Christian Wilkins, Sammy Watkins-type recruits, plus some developmental guys that they believe will, will be good for them later. 
Right. I feel like we are starting to, should we pencil in, uh, we've already got Clemson, Alabama three teed up for a couple of weeks from now. Should we, te- should we tee up uh, Clemson, Alabama four and five for a couple of years down the road now? You know, are we going to see any difference in these playoff teams over the next over the next couple we of will, years? We will because we never see the big change coming. We we don't. We we assume everything's always going to be this way. We didn't see Clemson coming when it came. That, that's a good point because I do remember when Urban won his second national title. There was still like USC was still really strong. And I, I just remember us me thinking and I think this was like a, a sort of a typical thing that a lot of us were thinking is when are we going to get that Urban Meyer Pete Carroll battle? Right. When is when are USC and Florida finally going to square when are Alabama off? and Oregon going to play? Right. Never right. happened. So we don't know what the next iteration is, but I think what we, you know, the upshot of this is more more directly to Clemson is Clemson doesn't seem to be going anywhere anytime soon, especially when you're stacked up at quarterback. I do I, I do find it interesting to see these programs that are stacking quarterbacks because you have you have Trevor Lawrence with a, a team that already has Kelly Bryant and Hunter Johnson is still in that system. He was the number one quarterback or one of the top quarterback recruits in the 2017 class. Like he, he's now been or 2016, 17 class. Yes. So he, now he's been skipped over to a certain degree, right? Cause yeah. you can go from Bryant well, to he, Lawrence. He and, he and Jacob Eason can go try to find somewhere else to play. Probably. I mean, that, that's kind of how, how this may work. And it brings me to, the other team I wanted to talk about in this group, and that's Georgia, because they are stacking quarterbacks. Uh, Fields, you know, people are looking at him as the quarterback of the future. They have a true freshman starting at quarterback now and just won the SEC. Right. So where do you? So if you're Jacob Eason, I think if you're Jacob Eason, isn't the plan to figure out how can I possibly graduate in the next few months? Yeah. So I can go somewhere. I mean, I don't even know if that's possible. I don't I think it's seen. possible in two years. I, I I think maybe you ought to go to Eastern Washington and just light it up for a year and go to the league. Yeah, it's funny. That's exactly the team I was talking about this with uh, a colleague of mine, and that's exactly the team that came up. I was like, well, maybe he can just go to to an FCS team. And Eastern Washington was the team. Yeah, right. Because I mean, if you're Fields, that's a guy who should come in and think that he might be able to play immediately. And he you does. Know. That's why he signed there because he had some options. You know, Florida came hard after him after Dan Mullen got hired. Uh, he could have gone to Florida and started next year. I mean, he would have been penciled in as a starter today had he signed at Florida. That was not his concern. He he's not the type who cares who's in front of him. That's great for Georgia because that means. He's either going to beat out Jake Fromm and be better than Jake Fromm, or he's going to make Jake Fromm better, and Jake Fromm's going to beat him out. Any way you slice it, they're going to have a really good quarterback, which is sort of the situation at Alabama right now with Jalen Hurts and Tua Tungavailoa. Right, and, and you know the other thing with with it that's jumping out with me about about Georgia is are we now? I, t- I know it's only been a couple of years now. But Kirby's got him in the playoff, and he's got a second-ranked recruiting class. Uh-huh. So he, they got what they wanted, are you, right? Are you pondering it's, what I'm pondering, Ralph? Well, this is the the mini Saban. It's like it's, he, they are now it's, alabama light. Here's the thing. It's not going to be mini, though. Georgia is an easier place to recruit to than Alabama. Georgia has more talent in state and right. less opposition in state. Georgia is the job that Nick Saban always said was the best job in America. Right. Well, because you not only have right, you have a lot of you. You run your state. It's also 
how do I put this? It's a it's a high quality state for public schools, right? I, so I you put it differently. Uh, Football coaches can negotiate individual contracts in the state of Georgia. Therefore, a lot of the best of them go to the state of Georgia from the surrounding states. That's uh, mm-hmm. something that people, you, you'll see a lot of good coaches from Florida or from Tennessee go into Georgia because they can get paid more there. And they they coach those guys the, well. But the other part of good. That, the other part of that too, the other part of that, Andy, too, though, is it's, it's um, you know, in a state like Mississippi or Louisiana, sometimes the school systems make it hard to get those kids in. Right. right. I mean, and, gonna, the, and the school. Right. The school systems are good in Georgia. They do a good job of, of making sure they're they're educated and eligible. And uh, and also I, Georgia, probably of of the states in the south, has benefited more from the population shift from the north. Um, yes. Their population, especially the population of metro Atlanta, has exploded. And so it's interesting because when you look at these recruits from the state of Georgia, now the ones from South Georgia, their families have been there for a long time for the most part. But when you, when you talk about these recruits from Atlanta, almost all of them, their parents move from somewhere else. Right. Um, they're, they're all transplants. Yeah. And so the, the ties to Georgia aren't as strong, to the University of Georgia aren't as strong for the families necessarily, but they get into the schools and, and their coach has a, a UGA flag flying on his truck and uh, the guidance counselor has a UGA diploma hanging on her wall and uh, th- that seeps in. You know, you know that that's messaging you see all the time and it's pervasive in that state. It's not like Alabama where you see some Alabama, you see some Auburn. In Michigan, you see some Michigan, you see some Michigan State. It's it's more like Ohio, where all you see is Ohio State. Right, right, and that's and that's the good comparison there. And that's you know, listen, Ohio State has been the most sustainably uh, excellent program forever. I mean, really is it? it really, yeah. it's the most there sustainably are no real dips in Ohio State's recent right. history. Right. I mean, you can say, well, they hire good coaches and this and that, but right, Ohio State never takes a step back. Georgia could be sort of the southern version of Ohio. Now, you're going to have to fend off more more other schools because there are just a lot of, just what you said, A, transplants, and B, there are just more powerful schools right in the orbit of of Georgia. You have Auburn in your backyard, and you have- Clemson's you know, two hours from Atlanta. I mean, that's, people, people don't realize how close Clemson yeah. is to Atlanta. Yeah, even South Carolina and all those schools. But I do say that I will say this. You're right. I mean, if, if Georgia is now a monster, what does that mean for the rest of the SEC East? What, right? is it, if what does it mean if for you're Nick Saban at Alabama? Yeah, well, li- listen, I don't. I mean, does that mean you have finally have someone who stares you eye to eye? Because, but you did have that for a little while, but you just had it from within the SEC. Well, you had it at, when Meyer was at Florida, mm-hmm. and you had it within the SEC West for a little while with LSU. Yeah. But so yeah, now you have a new competitor. I don't think that's that that shouldn't worry Alabama fans. I don't think um, it might make it a little tougher that road once you get to the SEC championship game. Yeah, I, I think that's good for the league, by the way. The, they, oh, the SEC needed that pretty bad. And, uh, but it's, it's interesting, you know, it, it's, you look at the, the 24-7 sports composite team rankings right now as they sit, and this is something you wouldn't have seen uh, five, six years ago. Ohio State and Penn State in the top four, mm-hmm. two Big Ten teams. Because of Urban Meyer and, and James Franklin, because both of those guys know 
what they're looking for in recruiting. I, I still contend the reason the other Big Ten teams got better is because Urban Meyer went to Ohio State and showed people what a national championship contender actually looks like. Because I, I don't think people in the Big Ten actually understood what one of those teams looked like. There's an old phrase that, that I can't remember who said it. It might have been Bino Cook said that the Big Ten will start winning national championships when it starts playing for national championships. And this was years ago. This is when Penn State sort of recalibrated. statement. Wow. Yeah. Well, well, I mean, and this was when Penn State like sort of recalibrated and all of a sudden they had the really good Penn State teams again. And, and they were sort of like playing for national championships uh, when Penn State first, you know, the Kerry Collins teams. But I, I do think that, that that that's sort of what is going on now. Now, the other part of that, though, is the 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 downside of that, if you're the Big Ten, is. Even though Meyer has sort of shown you the way, there's still only a very small handful of Big Ten schools that can that can do it, that right. have the ability to put together those types Ohio of teams. Ohio State and Penn State have the recruiting bases to do it. Yeah. And, okay. and Michigan has the ability to do it because of resources and a national brand, though it's going to be a little tougher. You know, listen, even the best of Michigan State's teams over the last couple of years have been sort of, you know, overachievers, teams that could get in the playoff but are probably over their head. You know, maybe it'll be interesting to see if what Nebraska can do with Frost. Like, I mean, listen, they don't have the recruiting base. I think it's going to be a massive uphill battle. But maybe that's a guy who can do some national things on the national scope to get at least into that conversation. Well, let's let's talk about another school in that top five right now. And it's the one that it's at number three. It's Texas. Now, last year, of the the players in the twenty four seven composite top ten in the state of Texas, only one signed with a Big Twelve school, and it wasn't Texas. This year. Today, Texas signed the number one, number three, number four, number five, number seven, and number ten players from the state of Texas. I'd say Tom Herman is doing what he was hired to do. No doubt. I mean, this is that, and it's not just you know the other team who was having a pretty good day last I had, I had saw was Baylor, right? Mm -hmm. Wasn't Baylor having a pretty solid? Yeah, Baylor was. And, and look, I mean, you and I know Matt Rule. That's a guy. He comes into your living room. You're going to listen. And the only reason why I bring up Baylor in regards to Texas, listen, Texas is the, is the linchpin, right? Right. I mean, if Texas is good, we keep saying this all the time. If Texas is good and they're dominating Texas, the Big 12 is a completely different looking conference. But I do think also just having Baylor be healthy and be able to keep some kids in Texas, I just think to a certain degree, it's it's it's, uh, you know, um, high, what's the what's the what's the cliche? Rising rising waters. Rising tide yeah. floats all boats. And TCU Fighting, also I, sitting there at number right. twenty. Now we haven't even mentioned the the program that has kept the Big Twelve afloat over the last few years. Oklahoma sitting at number nine right now. Uh, look, I I just think they've got a great formula that works. Uh, the continuity with Lincoln Riley is fantastic. I I don't know if they're going to make any sort of staff changes. After this season, I mean, they're sitting there in the playoffs, so it's not like things went badly. Uh, so I, mean, I just think they're they're in a position to be successful long term as well. So I think it looks like a brighter day in the Big Twelve than it did on the first Wednesday in February last year. 
Right. And I do think, right, I think going back to that, what I said, Herman definitely having Texas in a stronger place, looking like they are now, again, incapable of dominating that state, capable of, of contending for national titles. Now, we don't know that yet, but they need to get to that point. If they can at the at the point where Texas can play for national titles, you put Texas on a bigger stage. It brings everybody else in that conference and puts them on a bigger stage. Yeah, I, I think it's this is this is some pretty interesting data that we're seeing, uh, and, and it's interesting to see this now because this is basically how the recruiting rankings are going to shake out by after the February period as well. Because you know, look, Ohio State signed twenty two today. Georgia signed twenty one. Uh, Texas 19, Penn State 22, Alabama 18. Ba- basically, these are full classes. There are going to be uh, two or three more in each one, uh, just stragglers, holdouts. But this is what it's going to be. And you know, I-, I think it sets up for some fascinating stuff. And-, and you talk about who's that next team that crashes the playoff that hasn't been in it yet. Well, if I'm looking at this, there's a few teams that, that I think have, have chances. I think Penn State, they're still going to be hanging around. They're still going to be a contender in the Big Ten every year. Uh, they lose Joe Moorhead. How, you know, how does Ricky Ronnie do replacing him? But talent-wise, Penn State can hang. If Herman can make Texas better, and look, I'm not going to say Texas is definitely going to be better. They were 6-6 six and six this year. They have a lot of work to do. But maybe if they can get back in the mix in the Big 12 – uh, Miami, very good signing class. Now this is this is a school that was in the last few years has had, you know, a lot of good commitments early, and then seen its class picked apart. I wonder if this is one where the the early signing period really helped. And Miami, listen, Miami came a little early this year, right? They got they arrived a little earlier than we expected as mm-hmm. far as getting to a BC in the BCS getting to a. <laughs> a college football playoff game, getting to a New Year's Six game. So you're right. I mean, they're building off of what what they probably feel like is a team that's arrived a little early. Uh, and, and Miami is, is, God, they're such a key for the ACC, right? I mean, because if you, if you look at, I, I have no doubt Florida State will be fine, right? Yes, they're going to be okay. State, it's, it, they may, they, they may have a little bit back. of just They'll be fine. Here. But, but ultimately, Florida State will be fine. But if you have Miami on the other side of that conference with Virginia Tech doing what Virginia Tech has done for so long, and I think that will continue to do under Fuente, which is be really, really good and, and maybe in certain years be excellent, um, you know, then the ACC looks like a monster conference for a while. I mean, if you can get a third team along with Clemson, Florida State, and then Miami to be legitimate national title contenders – um, you know, that, that's the conference that John Swafford always dreamed of. And, and if you're right, you know, you're building off of the success of this year. Uh, there's no reason why Miami shouldn't be. There's really no reason why Miami shouldn't be shouldn't be more successful than they have been. All right. Before I let you go, we got to talk about something you tweeted about earlier today. Uh, I believe this guy is, is probably this signing day's version of Kobe Buffalo meat. Uh, Maryland has signed a kicker who can kick with either foot. Right. That's amazing. And and here's because I, I saw the video of him. He kicked a 60-yarder. And now I have to get the kid's name. Because uh, I, I, we, if we're going to talk about him, we have to get his name. Brad uh, So he kicked a 60-yarder. No, no, oh. that is their old kick. Oh, yeah, that's, that's right. Old. 
See, uh, I'm, I'm not up on the Maryland kickers. Well, it just, you know, sometimes you just happen to be flipping around BTN at just the right time. And they, all of a sudden they're talking about Maryland's kicker. So I, I give credit to, uh, to Mike Hall and, and the guys at BK, BTN for pointing this that, one out. But yes, yeah. the kick, I just, the well, kick. when you, when you tweeted out, my first thought was, wait, he, he can kick with two feet at the same time. Is that even legal? <laughs> he is not kicking with both legs at the same time. No, he is kicking. He is kicking with one leg and then kicking with the other. But he kicked a. They showed him jo- kicking Joseph a Petrino. Joseph yes, Petrino, Petrino from, from Petrino. Richmond Hill, Georgia. Uh, same same Savannah suburb as Nick Fitzgerald, the Mississippi State quarterback. Right. So he kicks a sixty yarder with his right leg, sets up the T, the 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 manual T again, kicks a fifty yarder with his left leg. Wow. Now, now here's the thing. All the soccer folks on my timeline were like, yeah, you know, soccer players, they all do that. They all kick with both legs and kick then really Then why well. aren't they all in the NFL? Because <laughs> they're playing soccer, <laughs> Andy. Because soccer is a big now, deal. Now, now. So I would suggest maybe it, they're not enough of them because they, why, is, why does our soccer team stink? Exactly. Right? And if we have all these guys who can kick with both legs, I mean, wouldn't you think USA soccer would be a lot better? Well, here's my thing. If you're a switch-footed kicker, is it like a switch-hitter in baseball? Like if, if you know the other team has a guy who is adept at rushing from the left side – would you want to have a a left-footed kicker so that he could clear the ball more quickly and force that guy to cover more distance before he gets to where you're making contact with the ball? What about hash marks? That's what I want to know. Oh, like, is, that's is a great there, question, too. Is there some usefulness to this? Because ultimately, this probably is just a parlor trick, right? I mean, right. like, you know, he's like no well, coach I, is going to yeah, let him you, do. Like, I can imagine. So if you're on the left hash close, you'd want to kick with your right foot. Right, right. There are some instances where this becomes an angle situation that is better for you to kick with your other leg. Again, because otherwise, I'm sure DJ Durkin is not having this kid go, yeah, I'm going to try this one, you know, this 35-yarder with my left leg, coach. Is that all right? Like, that's just not happening. Maybe Here's if they're the up other like question. 40. Do you need an ambidextrous holder to deal with this? Um, do you need an ambidextrous holder? Probably, right? Because I, 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 because if I'm a holder, I'm holding only from one way, right? right? I'm, I'm learning catch with one hand set with the other hand. You have to learn to catch with both hands and set with both hands. Yeah. It's probably more of a, again, I think it's more of a, I can win a bet trick than, than something that you got to try it in a blowout. Don't you? Oh, yeah, no doubt. If you're up – whatever FCS team that they're playing, at some point you have to let this kid try a, you know, a long field goal with his off leg. Like that, that's something you have to do. Yeah. This, and basically no running for a week, no sprints for a week if he makes it or something like that. There's got to be a, a bet there. But well, that's the thing also, right? In practice, right? I mean, because especially in spring practice, because coaches are always messing around and like, oh, yeah, if he makes this, we're going to take a day off tomorrow. Like that should be the way they they run that. Right. Like if you kick if you can kick this with your off leg or if you can kick them both from these positions, then, yeah, we're going to have the day off tomorrow. This is brilliant. Ralph, I I think you've 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 made my uh, my spring itinerary pretty easy or preseason practice itinerary pretty easy because I got to see Maryland's camp on the day that they're they're given days off for this dude hitting left and right footed kicks 
You, you know, the other cool thing is uh, Texas signed a punter who's uh, an Australian punter who's cousins with Michael Dixon. That's well, wouldn't you? Well, first of all, I, I'm beginning to think all of these Australian punters are related. I, I just think that they're all related. I think they're right? clones. I, I think they might all be the same person. It's possible. They, none of them. They, none of them seem to have any. Uh, they're all hysterical. Like every one of them is funny, and they don't. I, I love that they don't show football the kind of reverence that that we do here. Like they don't take it so seriously. So. See, I'm all for more Australian punters, and, and if we can get more Australian uh, linemen, then by all means, let's liven things up. Here, here's the underlying thing on that, though, Andy. Actually, all, all Australians are funny. Oh. Apparently. I think, it, I think that's true. I think all Australians are just very funny. It's, a, it's just a, a hilarious society there? <laughs> well, just, I mean, look. As soon as you land the in the place Melbourne, where they have pl the platypus, which is proof that God has a sense of humor, so... Yeah, I, I can see that. Yeah. Well, I, we'll have the test. Daniel Fa'alele, uh, the Australian uh, offensive lineman who's 6'9", 400 pounds, he signed with Minnesota. So we'll see if he livens up the Minnesota locker room. There you go. All I'm right. glad we've got this straightened out. That's right. <laughs> Throw another shrimp on the bar, beef. <laughs> Thank you for joining, Ralph. It has been a fun early national signing day. Yes, we'll see you at a playoff game soon, I'm sure. Oh, yes, no doubt.